Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. I'm Wendy Brookhouse, your host, and we're doing something a little special today. This is our 101st episode, and I thought it's about time that maybe you guys get to know me a little bit more. So I've invited my good friend, Andre Brisson of The Impulsive Thinker to interview me today. So Andre, take it away. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. How are you doing today, Wendy? Well, thank you for inviting me. This is, I think this is a great honor to be asked this because you just celebrated your 100th episode. Yeah. Which with your style and structure, it's a big milestone. And at the beginning, I don't think you had a lot of belief that it would be going on this long and this strong. I actually didn't know where it would end up, Andre. But I will say that when I get to listen to people's stories and learn from them every episode, it's really motivating. And then I love it that I can uh, meet some people and it almost becomes a networking card. Hey, let's do a podcast together. And then I get to know uh, someone who I didn't really know before at a whole different level. Uh, what do you mean by a whole different level? Because like most people on podcasts is usually almost transactional. And I've never heard that from you, that a conversation on your podcast was transactional. No, what I mean by that is, is if I were to just go for a coffee with you, Andre, you and I would talk about business, we'd talk about something, but I might not get to learn about how did you become an entrepreneur? I might not get to learn about what are your biggest successes and what what did you learn the most? And then I may or may not have delved into deeply into what is your subject matter expertise and how can people apply that, right? Like it's, so it's a different level of conversation because it's in a podcast format and people are so open. Uh, most of my guests have been so open. So, cause sometimes I go down rabbit holes, right? So I've yeah. often said, I won't script anything <laughs> because you might say something and then I need to go, I need to know more because my natural curiosity and my uh, no fear of loss question Uh, answer question uh, methodology, (laughs) if that's what you want to call it. Uh, I'll just go there because I really am curious. Why did you do it that way? What happened? What does that mean? That's really important for me to understand. So you like to have structure, but not a system or a process. Yeah, it's more like a very, on the podcast, it's a loose direction. Ah, I like that. Yeah. And why is that important to you? to understand, to go a bit deeper. And I, and I'm really, and I do hear that from you is you do want to go deeper, but it's not for the reasons where, like I see with the other podcasts is just to get that info or get a gem. So you can look good. You go deeper for a different reason. Mm, I, I think it goes back to my curiosity and just really wanting to understand. Cause when I understand, like I do it with my clients too, Andre, like they'll say something that I, I'm like, Oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I think it's because in the past, in my pre- past lives, what I've learned is I have to not make assumptions sometimes. So when you say something and I'm like, Oh, well, what does that mean to you? Because it's different. It could be different than what I think it is. And I want to make sure we're on the right pa- same page, but also it is just curiosity because, you know, understanding why somebody did something is almost always a lesson for somebody whether right. it's and, for somebody else. And then one thing I do know about you, because we have a lot of conversations outside the podcast and we, we learn a lot from each other. The one thing you seem to do the most is ask questions mm. of yourself and others. And that's, uh, I think that's quite the gift that you have and you bring to the podcast and it's, it's really good to have that skill because, like I said, you don't make this about yourself. You make it about the other people. And primarily what I get is you get the listeners. You yeah. want the listeners to benefit first. Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting you say that about questions, Andre. You're making me think about uh, my when I... 
when I applied to take my executive MBA, you had to write a letter about why did you want to do this? Right. And my letter was, I don't think you can always know the answers because the answers are constantly shifting, but I need to know a good set of questions. And I said in that essay, I am ready for a new set of questions. And so uh, questions really are important to me because like I said, every March, all the tax rules change again. So me Mm -hmm. memorizing and having them nailed down, it's going to shift every year. But if I know what the right questions are, and then I know where to go get the answers, then I, then I can still provide good service. Is this something you learn as a, as a child? Questions, questions? Asking questions? I think it's always been part of me. I don't know that I learned it, Andre. It's always been just my nature. And, it, you know, it hasn't always made me a popular child. When I was young, I was not a popular child <laughs> because, you know, you'd go into the, you know, someone would come to the school and they'd do a presentation. I'm the, I was the, the child asking 10 questions and everyone looking at me mean because I was asking those questions. But I was curious. So I'm sure there was a period in my life where that got suppressed, but it has come out full bore in my life now. So the one thing you're really good at that I've noticed in your podcast as well is where the person came from. Mm. You always bring that out. So I want to bring this out. Okay. It is Wendy. Where did you come from? What is your backstory? Oh, well, Andre, I was born in Montreal. And when I was quite young, my my uh, parents actually went to McDonald College. So my mom had a nursing degree and my dad did an agricultural degree. And we moved down to uh, Truro, Nova Scotia when I was very young, I think three or four. And then a year within the year, we moved out to a farm and my dad worked at the agricultural college in Truro. And uh, my mom actually had this weird thing happen to her. So she was in Montreal when they were building the subways. And when they built the subways, um, they were digging into the ground and it released this spore of some nature. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the few that were was actually susceptible to this. And what happened was it started eating away parts of her retina. And then when they built the barn on the farm, it happened again. She got exposed through uh, bat dung. And as a result, my mother actually was, um, when I was quite young, I think five or six, she was actually considered blind by the definition. Now she could see a little bit side, but she couldn't, she was technically blind. And so I saw from her that really there is no, there's always a way to get it done because this woman, when I, I can remember, you know, I was older then, but she actually took a motorcycle driving course and passed it. It freaked out the instructor beyond belief, but she actually blind and legally blind passed the course. So obviously he had to do it, but you know, she passed it because she always wanted to have a, you know, a motorbike on her back 40 is what she used to say. (laughs) And she also built things. Uh, It scared the crap out of me because she had more power tools than most people I know. And she built stuff. I'm not going to say that they were straight. I'm not going to say that they completely lined up all the time, but that didn't hold her back. Mm-hmm. She wanted to do something. She found out how, to, how way to do it. And I think that's really, really translated into my life. Wow. Um, so it sounds like she was quite the innovator. Not, oh, yeah. Didn't let anything get in her way. No. And I, I didn't know that about the background. And I do see a lot of that in you. If someone says it can't be done. <laughs> what do you do? Well, then I look, okay, do I have to crawl over that obstacle, around the obstacle, under the obstacle, or does the obstacle need to be plowed out of the way? <laughs> right. And it'd be a great skill to do, especially with all the, the legalities and the regulations around the finance and wealth world. Absolutely. So it requires you to be quite innovative in a lot of times, especially with different client needs and yeah, requirements. that's not to say I'm plowing through com- compliance regulations because absolutely not. They're there for a reason, but it's more about how do I, how do we get this, the result we want given the things we have? It sometimes means I have to go down rabbit holes and, and investigate this option even more. And okay, can this option work? Can this option work? And it's just, you know, I think that's sometimes the benefit of being an independent financial advisor is that my toolbox is sometimes fairly bigger because I have more product and services available that I can go down rabbit holes on. So what kind of different products and service would be different than someone else who's tied to another organization? Depends. So if we were to go into the financial services industry, so if we look at your typical banker, the typical bank, if you're at the branch level, they 
are selling typically, I'm not saying this is across the board, Andre, their uh, investments are the bank investments. Mm-hmm. And they actually are un- not allowed to sell any type of insurance product as a banker. Now, if you're up higher and you're in the private banking world, there's a, there's, it's, all, it's a little more open. You know, it's usually they're selling socks and bonds. They are, uh, they do have professionals as part of that uh, high net worth category that are able to provide insurance options and things like that. Um, They may not have the full breadth of product available based on what they're allowed to sell. Um, And when you look at more captive shops like the Investors Group of the World, um, even Edward Jones, they have some of the insurance products available, but not the full suite. They're definitely very much controlled. So how does that benefit the, uh, like me, if, if I'm your client, how does that benefit me from going with someone who's got more tools in the toolkit, I guess. But the other yeah. challenge too is, I'm going to be honest here, financial advisors never been top of my list. Like I have, I've had a lot of bad experiences. So you've got more tools in your kit how is that more beneficial to me than someone who's is more restricted on what they can do? Well, it can give us more options, right? So not even though there's a lot of different insurance companies that sell, for example, critical illness insurance. So on the critical illness insurance, there's some of them might have a return of premium and some don't. Some might have the ability to pay it off in 15 years and some have to pay 20 years, 75 years, whatever. Uh, some might have slightly nuanced questions on their application that will allow you to answer truthfully and get insurance at one place, whereas if the way they ask a different sort of question, but you wouldn't be able to qualify. So, you know, there's times when I I ask about health and I will be in the middle of an application and I hear some answers and I go, okay, we need to stop now because I need to actually go out and, and search the market to find an application that we can be successful with. And the other thing too, like you mentioned insurance a few times here, you were the first financial advisor who ever discussed insurance and investments. Really? Yeah. Usually it's an insurance person that came to me and just talked about the other stuff or Mm -hmm. to say, you got to go to an insurance person to get that kind of stuff. Very rarely is it together. And I was always intrigued how you brought the two together as an investment pairing. Right. Well, let's go even up a little further on that one, because I think of investments and insurance are the byproduct of a good financial plan. So if you recall, when we worked together, Andre, we started with your plan. We started with analyzing spending. We started looking at your goals. We started looking at where's your debt at. We started looking at, you know, what are the group benefits you have? And we pull that all together into a picture and do analysis to go, hey, what could go wrong and how are you covered? So that's almost like, I call it the safety net. And mm-hmm. I call it, how do we see, what do you have now? What should you have on an, in an ideal world? And how do we start bridging that gap? But if we don't do all that background planning, we actually are making decisions or recommendations without a full, full knowledge. And I'll tell you the few times I do that with clients because they come and ask for, hey, can you just sell me a blah, 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 a million dollar term policy? And I will. But I'll tell you, it's hard. And more and more, that's going to come that I won't do that because I I really want to understand much more of the background and feel very confident that the solution I'm proposing bridges the, the amount of gap there is or and or is something that they can sustain from a, a spending perspective. Okay. Again, you've said a lot of non-traditional financial advisor kind of speak here. What I heard there was you would actually push a product that you may get less commission on for oh, the yeah. betterment of the client. Yes, absolutely. And why would you do that? Because that just seems that's... anti-financial advisement. Sorry. <laughs> I got a bias listeners. I'm sorry, but you know. And, uh, I know there's, I know there's others like me too, Andre. So let's be clear about that. Yeah, but fair enough. That's what true. It, it is about the client. I mean, that's why I have the number of, of insurance contracts I have. That's why I, tried to make sure that on the investment side that I have as wide a shelf as possible is because it is about the client. It's about helping them achieve their goals. It's, you know, and, and that's very important to me because I'm actually kind of unique in that I charge for my planning, Andre. And when people talk to me and they go, oh, I go, 
honestly, what I know to be true is that if we put this plan together, it will actually change your life. And that's where I get my juice from, not the fact you wrote me a check. That's just covering costs. But where my true incentive comes from is watching people have less stress and anxiety around money, around achieving their financial goals and, and feeling really good about it while they go through lives. And that's, that's where I'm, I, that's where my uh, motivation comes from. Um, and that's why I really, I, that's why I got a lot of respect for you is you put the client first. And the other thing, one of the first things you told me when we first met is you said to always have the right financial advisor as part of your team. Mm. And at the time, we we're talking about company, like the entrepreneurial company. Now, why would I actually care what the financial advisor has to say about moving my company forward? <laughs> That's really, really funny. So the... Um, on the financial planning side, I think that the core team you require is a good, a good lawyer, a good accountant, and a financial advisor. And you can actually save a lot of time and trouble if you have all three of those people talking together when the right times happen. That way, from, um, you could make decisions with your lawyer and accountant, and if no one communicates that to me, then I'm going to make a recommendation that may actually not work with the recommendations they did and we don't find out till later so it's a way to make sure that uh, all the people on the boat are rowing in the right direction and can have healthy discussions around competing views and for me that was a game changer because it's right it's three people in three different silos doing their own thing and me as the entrepreneur thinking i understand what's going on or i have my own bias of where i think it's going and having those three talk together is very beneficial. And, and in that kind of world, lawyer, accounting, and I think a lot of people misunderstand the financial advisors, that knowledge is not really known by an accountant. Not all of it, no. no. There's too much, like, it's, if you think about um, the depth of knowledge. So uh, when I did my CFP, there was actually, I think it was 1,500 concepts that they could test us on. And they only tested us on a hundred of them. So like, or, you know, like a 10% of the concepts, these concepts are in depth. And when you look at the breadth of things that we can, that we touch, you know, insurances, well, the insurances should work with your shareholders agreement. They should work with your will. They should work with, and all these things need to work together. And that's even like, you might have a shareholders agreement and you might have a will and they may not, they may contradict each other. And then the will gets adjudicated by one set of courts and the shareholders agreement by a different set of courts. And so you really have to, by having someone that goes, hey, these things need to be talking to each other because you may have had a business lawyer do one and a state lawyer do the other. How are you making sure that this is all coming together? In many ways, I think of us almost as the, the quarterback or the um, orchestra leader, you know, because we, we try and get everyone in, in place at the right times to get to the right place. So... Knowing you, all the stuff you've just said, like I have a hard time remembering that. I have a hard time trying to put it all together. And what you're really good at is packaging this stuff into a very simplified way that people can refer to. So what tools have you created to mm. simplify this for the, for the user or for you to really get, what I remember from you is here's all the information you gave me, which was just a lot of, a lot of stuff. But now I saw it in one spot and just went, wow, that's amazingly clear. Right. So um, I use a lot of self-reference criteria, Andre, when I'm building stuff. But I've also kind of been an innovator in thinking since childhood, um, you know, to go to the backstory again before we go forward. My brother and I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And we invented two-person baseball. And so two person you know, baseball, two person baseball, right? <laughs> so if I hit a ball and I got to first base, that's great. Then I go back to bat again. And if I hit it, hit it, got a double that time, that meant that person was right ahead of me. So I had a person on second and third, and that's how the, there was an imaginary person that was always going through. And if you hit it over the road, automatic home run, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it comes down to looking at what the market needs and what are the, the tools. I, I really want to focus on tools that help the advisor or sorry, the client. It's not because again, it's not about selling product, right? So when I look at what does an what does an entrepreneur need to know? 
right? And I think there's five numbers they need to know. And one of those numbers is how much can I spend every week without any stress or anxiety in my personal life? What does my ideal personal life cost on an after-tax basis? Because then we can now move over to the, to the company side of things and go, okay, um, we need to be pulling this much out as dividends, or we need to be pulling this much out as salary, or if you're sole proprietor, this is how much your profit needs to be, right? So we look mm -hmm. at it depending on the structure. Well, now we can start working our way up, and I mishmash. Uh, accountants would hate me, I'm sure of it, uh, but I mishmash some P&L stuff, some balance sheet stuff, some cash flow stuff, because what I'm trying to do is, especially for the small and medium-sized person, is figure out you know what, based on what you're trying to achieve, we need to get your sales to this level. And then I take it a step further, which is a bit different. And I think it's almost like the old consultant hat when I was, um, when I had consulting before I got into this business. And that's when we start analyzing, okay, what are you selling? Because we've got this massive number up there that can be intimidating to people, right? Mm -hmm. if, oh my God, you need to sell $500,000 in this very small company. What do you, you know? So let's break it down. Let's look at your, let's look at each of your product offerings. Okay. Oh, you sell this service and this service. Okay. Well, let's now let's break those down even further. Let's look at a couple of things. I like to look at contribution to profit. I like to look at the number, amount of time and capacity you have to deliver that. And then I also want to understand, and this is going to sound weird, but the joy it brings you, right? The joy. The joy, right. So if we do all this analysis and we come up and we say product B is the product you should focus on, you need to sell 10 of them a month and you absolutely hate that it doesn't give you any life or joy mm -hmm. to deliver. How long is that going to be fun? Whereas product A may not have as much contribution right now, but it gives you immense joy. Well, let's tinker with it and figure out how to make it and give more contribution so that it's contributing money to your business and your life and contributing to continuing to enhance your joy factor. So you mean enjoy doing what you're doing while making money? It's a thing I've been working on for a few years now, Andre. It's going <laughs> to it's going to catch on. Well, yeah. well right? it's a trap. It's a bias too that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs get caught in. You know, we go we well, get down selling the product we don't enjoy selling or we don't like but it makes a lot of money and Yeah. Yeah. But then find what gives you joy and then figure out how that can give you money. Right. So that, yeah. so then I like to take it down and like, I just kind of referenced, I'm like, Oh, this is the one, this is the focus because guess what it does. It simplifies your marketing. It simplifies operations. It simplifies all kinds of things. Plus it gives you a focus. If you need to sell 10 of these per month and you are now you've sold 10 and it's on the 20th, what we're able to do is kind of go, okay, you're good for the month. You Everything now is bonus. Because another thing entrepreneurs sometimes struggle with, Andre, is when is enough enough? Yes. And so this allows, it gives them that little switch to go, I've hit it. I, I funded my life this month. We're all good. Everything else is bonus. So it, it, it's that hustle and grind that we can take a little bit of that out in the sense of we know how much you have to do. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think you had two more on your list and five numbers. Yeah. So the other numbers I look at is the shockproof number. And mm. this evolved, I think, from the pandemic and really looking at how much do we need to have available to us? So what is the combination of available capital, cash on hand, and potentially insurance products do we need to make sure that if something happens that we're not planning for, that we're covered, right? So pandemic, it went on and on and on and on. And I think it for some people, it was a boom. And for some people, it showed them that, wow, I needed a way bigger buffer because it's it took six months before my business came back as a result mm -hmm. of the whatever, right? Yeah. So having an understanding how long that runway is and where you're going to go to get the money if you need it is really, really important. It gives you peace of mind. And, you know, accidents happen too. So if you went out and got hit by a car, uh, and you can't work for six months, do you have disability insurance that would come in and help pay for business overhead expenses for your personal life, et cetera? Mm -hmm. These are things that are really important to think about. And is then that the, what you've been calling your total wealth blueprint? blueprint? That's, yeah, that's the part. Those are the four of them. But the one that I love the most is your power number. Yes. And, that, and that power number is, again, another number that when you know enough is enough. And so as entrepreneurs, we do push, push, push. And 
what is the finish line? When do we know we have enough that we have enough capital, we have enough income sources, we have all those things done that we're working because we want to, not because we have to, that we know our life is taken care of. And so that's oh. the power number. So it's not a retirement number. It's kind of where we can start. I don't want to say it this way, but relax and start enjoying life again. But it's like, it's not yeah. a retirement number you're talking for some, it could be a retirement number. For some, it could. Or someone's kind of a, the ultimate goal of saying, I've reached it and I can keep going, but yet I've achieved what I wanted. Right. Everything now is gravy. Uh, yeah, better way. Until I'm 100 is, is set up. And so let's, uh, so I think it changes how you show up when you know you've reached that number or how, how if you know how you're getting there. Because mm-hmm. um, it would, you know, oh, that's not going to work out, whatever you know, versus, oh my God, what am I going to do now? You know what I mean? Like, so that stress and anxiety. So I think it changes the confidence level and the um, energy you may be putting out into the world. It also can allow you to pivot and things like that. So, and the interesting thing there, Andre, is what I recognize through developing the Total Wealth Blueprint is that a lot of times the biggest asset uh, entrepreneurs have is their business. And Mm -hmm. right, this is an asset and don't know how much it's worth. Don't know what it could be worth. It's a big part of the retirement plan, yet we're not being intentional about building that value, right? Yeah, we're building sales, but we may not be building value. Your business is making a profit. You're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. Right. And that's an interesting one because like I got an engineering company and we don't have physical assets. Yeah. Right. We it's what we know is what we know. That's what we sell. Uh And then when you start to talk to me how I got a valuable company, which is basically brains. Yeah. It's it's quite interesting to think of it that way. And I don't think that's a common understanding of the entrepreneur world that if you don't sell products or have buildings, you don't, you have a worthless company. Can you expand on that on how a non widget making company or someone who does have physical assets has a valuable company? So I like to think that the total wealth blueprint and the other products that I've built around my services are unique intellectual property. They have value. They provide value to people and they can be used by others, not just me to do it. So I think the biggest thing about a service-based company being able to be valuable is to ensure that it's not all about the owner. If you Mm. can't take that owner out of the company and the company still run and produce money, it's no, it's pretty, it's not very valuable, but if you can build company with products, systems, and people that are not hundred percent relied on the, on the owner or very minimally, the minute, you know, you're providing value through strategy, you're providing value, but you're not, your hand isn't in every pie. You don't right. know every customer, you know, you're thinking about how do I build recurring revenue streams? How do I do this versus I'm doing the work, right? So if we think back to the E-Myth and the three hats the entrepreneur wears as an entrepreneur, manager, and technician, mm-hmm. you definitely have to be out of the technician role or be replaceable as a technician. That's documented process and methodology, mm-hmm. right? And finding good people to backfill and having a training and onboarding system for them. It's about moving your way out of management by putting good key managers in place so that if you move your way up into the entrepreneur level, you know, when you took a month off, the company still runs, the company still does all the sales, it still executes on its agreements. Um, they don't have to call the owner every two minutes to say, oh, Joe didn't make his pay his bill. What do I do? Right. They should know, right? And that makes a company very more valuable. And so even though your EBITDA, your earnings before interest taxes and adjustments is, um, you know, that's where most businesses have the multiple applied to, right? Right. But you can increase, you can increase your EBITDA and have it multiply by a number, 
but you can also increase your EBITDA and then increase the multiple because you've created this systems and machine, the, the business runs like clockwork, that increases the multiple. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Now I got something new. I got something. I never thought about concentrating on the multiplier. Everyone seems to push the EBITDA, have a bigger yeah. EBITDA, but it's the multiplier that's actually right. the return. Well, that, the, the, that's where you can amplify, right? So that's yeah. why I did the training I did and have the systems I have in behind me because um, we actually have a diagnostic tool that will help you figure out where on the eight levers that you can pull to increase your multiple. Where are you? How are you scoring? What can you do next on those? And then um, because we know that people who have implemented those have increased their multiple dramatically. Wow. Yeah, because one of the ultimate goals I keep sharing with my team, which I, I thought in the past was more to empower them, is I want to be the dumbest person in the company. Yeah. And I want to be obsolete. Yeah. Um, but I never thought in the sense that it actually helps the multiplier it to sure make it does. more valuable. Yep. Yep. Well, that's cool. So, okay. So how do I know if I'm amplifying my company or EBITDA properly? Do you have something out there that can help us right. with that? Absolutely. I have a 10-week training pros, uh, program that I'm offering, Andre, and it's called the Business Value Amplifier. And I will train you on all these uh, levers. It's a combination of one-on-one -on -one and group training. So why should I care really to amplify it if my company's already doing well? Well, if it's doing well, and maybe you'll know when you take the, the a diagnostic, hey, if you scored 90, you're good. But what I'm seeing mostly with the people that I'm working with now, they're scoring in the 50s and the 60s because we haven't been putting our intentional, intentional, intentional effort intention, on yeah. building those, those things. And so once you're profitable, man, it's time to start turning your eyes to these levers and start uh, pulling those so that you can amplify. And that goes to another point, Andre, that you and I were talking about in the green room is as entrepreneurs, sometimes we like to set things up, make it work, and then go, well, that's done. It's time yeah, to move on, yeah, right? Yeah. And so in those instances, make that thing the, as the most valuable as possible, tune up all those levers, and then sell it and go to the next thing. Because that's going to be just, that could be the funding for the next thing. Right. And not everybody wants to sell, Andre, or they're ready to do it. But I'll tell you this, if you've increased all those levers of the score, your business is smoother. It's working better. It's easier to get financing. It's easier to do a whole bunch of things. Right. Uh, okay. So it's not necessarily I'm profitable. I'm doing well or yeah. increasing my value. I can still be profitable, but not increase value. Well, you can be profitable and have a, a, a value, but you can increase that value completely. Like, again, if that company is all you. Right. You no, but like I'm saying, like a lot of people are, I, I think there's a belief out there, as long as I'm profitable, I'm making, creating a valuable company. And I don't think they're directly connected, correlated the way you're explaining it. Right. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, it could be valuable, but it could be way more valuable. Right. And the other thing that's coming up is, you know, there's a report out by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And what they're, they just did a report last year, Andre, and it's fascinating. And they're talking about the, um, what's happening in the small business thing. 76% of Canadian business owners plan to exit their business within the next decade. That hmm. is huge. And now let's think about that way. Is that a buyer's market or is that a seller's market? Right. And if you want to have, if there's for your instance, maybe there's four engineering firms that have been put on the block. Mm -hmm. Well, which one are they going to buy? They're going to buy the one that has the most best systems and everything else, the most valuable ones. So you yeah. might even be able to command a premium, but you're going to look better in a crowded market because you've done the work. Do you think you have an explanation why people want to exit in the next 10 years? Just an interesting they, number for me. Oh, I know. Well, they, they did interview a lot of people. So I think a lot of them, 17% of people uh, accelerated the timeline because of COVID, 20%, 2% delayed it. In talking to some of my accountant friends, they saw a lot of people who got tired, Andre, especially right. during COVID. And they just like to sell it, just sell it. But here's the interesting thing. Only 9% of business owners have a formal business strategy in place for transitioning a business. Right. And so what they're doing is they are donating money to CRA. Yes. Makes makes sense. And that's because where your business value right amplifier planning. will help. 
the business value amplifier will help them get ready to sell. The total wealth blueprint will help them make sure that they know mm-hmm. how they're going to deploy all that money and have the plans in place to deal with that. Right. And I think is the other thing too, is the business value amplifier program is not necessarily just if you have the intentions to sell. No, it's not. If you just want to build on the value. And what I heard from there is that it can make it self-sustaining. Right. It, that's a big freedom to, 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 to invest in. Huge. Um, the statistic around that is um, finding a suitable buyer is the most common obstacle to succession planning, 54%. And the reliance on the owner for day-to-day operations was a hindrance in 39% of the cases. So starting to be intentional about working your way out of that is really important. And so the reason I brought all this in, because if I go back to the total wealth blueprint, Andre, and we're starting to come up with your power number, mm-hmm. and if your business is the biggest part of that power number, well, how can I help you make that number grow faster? And yeah. again, it comes down to, like you said, they may not want to sell, but if an opportunity comes and you've done the work, you'll get a better paycheck. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately at one time in, in our lives, it will occur or yeah. it's going to happen one way or the yeah. other. Exactly. What other products do you have or you, that you're currently working on? Oh, I'm working on this really interesting thing, Andre. I've been getting some inspirations from some clients. I had a client who recently sold a business and they have a big chunk of change. And they're like, well, where do we invest this money? And so what we're doing is trying to come up with a combination calculator opportunity filter slash, you know, <laughs> screener, right? Because that's the other thing I think I bring to the table as an advisor is I don't think all answers need to be your money's in the market, right? right. There are very many other things, but let's evaluate each of those things based on your criteria, right? So how how uh, how taxable is this when the income comes out? How taxable is it if you sell it? How, um, how flexible is it, right? right. If you are a high quick start person who likes to pivot around and do different things quickly, um, you better be able to get out if that's important to you, right? And so understanding how risky is it? How risky is this? And how much risk are you prepared to take now with this money? Because what I do find is, is there's this point with as entrepreneurs, we take a lot of risk on early on, but then once we have that paycheck for the business, we, we, we start to downtone because we don't want to lose it. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's, it's understanding that risk tolerance. And then there comes a point, Andre, sometimes you may have a big enough pile of cash that you don't have to take any risk. Mm-hmm. And then you have to ask yourself, why am I taking that risk? Right. I think as a culture, we were always like, we need to grow our money. We need to grow our money. Well, do you? Maybe you do for your own self personal. That's great. But recognize that you don't need to, and you're doing it because you want to. Right. Yeah. And that's what I liked about you is you, your definition of wealth is not your definition. It's the client's definition. And, and that's the one thing that really threw me for a loop was no, no, usually it's more money, more money, more money, but you know, can we just expand a bit on your definition of wealth? Because your definition of wealth includes spending money. (laughs) Right. Well, yes. So I feel like there's this, uh, breakdown between living life for today while planning for tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. And as humans, we're usually naturally inclined more for today. But we can run, I've run into people who um, are all about spending, 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 and they're doing nothing for tomorrow. And then I run into others who are doing nothing today, because they're planning for tomorrow. tomorrow, And I think that we've got to come to the middle on that for everybody or come to a, a nice place in the middle, because it's important we live life today. The stuff we do today that gives us joy, that makes us happy, you know, and, and if that latte at Starbucks is what gives you freaking joy every day, then go buy the darn latte, right? Yeah. Understand that depending on your situation, that may mean something else has to go, but let's live the joy and figure out where, where we can spend and align our spending with our values. And part of those values are looking ahead to tomorrow and starting to do those, that planning. Yeah. And I really like that spin that you had on that. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You want to give us a little bit of bit more information about this elite biz community that you're trying oh, to develop here? Yeah. So there's a couple communities we're developing, uh, one of which is called the Elite Biz. It's going to be a monthly webinar, workshop, collaboration piece type mm-hmm. of thing. And what we're going to do is we're going to feature really good educational pieces and then also a tool or a resource or something that we can all share. And then I'm going to encourage getting to meet new people and hanging out. 
so there'll be some rooms, you know, breakout rooms on the Zoom and stuff like yep. that, just so that we can connect. I know that you and I have uh, done that with Strategic Coach, and I've always found I've met such amazing people from different places and different industries, and I learn from each one of them. And I'm trying to recreate that on a very small scale uh, in the sense that I'm only going to charge $17 a month to be in this program and to be in this. And so it's more of a, a small commitment to come month by month. There's no, you know, come when you can, come when you can't. Uh, we'll send you the replays. We'll send you all the information that you need to know from each of those things. But it's meant to be very, very start of the journey with us and understanding how we work, the kind of content we think and how we think, because we think a little differently. So I want people to understand that and just have a new perspective on the growing their business and having some thoughts on that. Well, it's like you said, you like to ask a lot of questions. And if you ask the same type of question to a bunch of different people, you get a bunch of different answers. And like, yes, we are both in strategic coach. And my big money making ideas never came from the coach at the front of the room. It's from the breakout sessions. Absolutely. So it's definitely a, a positive, especially if you're in a room of people with the same goal, same mindset. It's definitely transformational. Well, what I am also excited about, too, is potentially exposing people from different parts of the country to each other, because how business is done in Ontario versus Nova Scotia versus BC, there's a different mentality and there's a lot to be learned from different mentalities of how to do things. And yeah, and different work methods, like just even in the construction industry that I am in. The way Toronto does their work is completely different than London, Ontario. It's completely different what Quebec works, BC. It's all, and you know, even Nova Scotia. Just regionally, they've always done it this way. And then when you go into different markets, you get to see that different perspective. Either hey, that makes a lot of sense, or that doesn't make sense, and you benefit from it. I think from learning. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So. The um, the other thing lately you've been uh, spending a lot of time on, and I think it's highly needed out there because there are a lot of couples especially over covid that have created businesses together either being a purposeful intentional or by accident i think just over covid we've had a lot more knowledge about it but this has been going on for quite a few centuries actually yeah, yeah. um yes you can be married the married portion is unique but when you bring that into an entrepreneurial setup it's a completely different thing. And no one is dealing with that part. And you want to deal with that and help people. And you want to explain, expand yeah. more on that for us? So it's a specialty that uh, we've developed over here. And what we're doing is truly trying to create some best practices and some shared learnings uh, in that area. And so a couple of things I've been doing. First off, I did launch a, a research study that's still ongoing about money and couples and uh, how do they treat it? What do they, what, what things do they have in place? How are they communicating? Just understanding, just understanding them a bit better, but relating it back to the wealth piece as well. And then the other thing we're doing is I've, I'm collaborating with uh, Anthea Mumby and we're creating this thing called the Entrepreneurial Couples Collective. Hmm. And that will be another monthly thing that couples can come into and we're going to build on what uh, Anthea and I know, because between the two of us, we have over 40 years of working with our spouses. And wow. so we're taking that information, what we've learned, and then we're also asking others to contribute. Because what will happen is, we, you know, what works for me won't work for you, Andre, but Correct. there could be half of what works for me, half of what works for Anthea. And you go, oh, if I move these together that will work for me. So, but if you're not being exposed to how other couples are working, because if entrepreneurship is lonely, entrepreneurship as a couple, uh, it's a subset and it's a specialty, if you will, in terms of its niche. It's so small. It's so small, but at the same time too, what I found with my experience, you can actually get isolated amongst yourselves as a couple because of the business. Right. And so this is going to encourage us to build that another community out that's very specialized so that people can um, share. And, you know, we're launching this in May and we're planning to be old and brazen. We want to go to places where maybe we haven't gone before. So for example, we're running one this, this month, it's called Harmonious Hustle. But next, next month, we're going to run all about competition and clashing. And what happens if you inadvertently find yourself competing with your spouse in the same business. Right. It happens. 
I've had it happen and Fia's had it happen, but it's never been called out. So it's happening to others. Our, yeah. our, our, uh, our, our, you know, our whole subset group of two is two for two. So we know what's happening out there. Yeah. And the more you've been talking to me about this and you just said, it's, you know, not everyone experiences the same thing, but I think everyone experiences the same thing, but the specifics are completely different. Yeah. Okay. And what you want people to talk about, everyone's experiencing it either if they're cognizant of it or not. Exactly. And I will tell you this is having a venue to have, to be able to talk about things will reduce the loneliness, but it'll also, the loneliness can sometimes contribute to some mental health issues. And we want to try and keep uh, mental health. Like if we can help with the mental health of a few entrepreneurs, that would be amazing. Well, that's huge. The mental health is definitely a very important thing. And like I tell people, take care of your mental health first and your physical health will follow. Yeah. And it's still as much as it's out there, no one talks about it, even though it's a popular topic to state and that it is important, but now no one really practices it. And we've, we've known each other a long time and this is a both important things. And I, and I speak what I preach because I am doing therapy and all that. And entrepreneurs, I think are the most susceptible to mental health conditions and issues, because like you said earlier, it's a very lonely, isolated position as a leader and an entrepreneur, you're alone. And how do you deal with that? We'll make or break how life is enjoyable or not. Yeah, I think that's why we did the collective and also the community, because we want to have a place where it doesn't cost thousands of dollars to go hang out. Yeah, well, the thing is, community is quite important, and it's very beneficial to mental health. And being surrounded by people who get you and understand you is so rewarding. And I think that's really a really cool concept you have for the elite biz community, the entrepreneurial couples collective. And then just with your whole total wealth blueprint concept and simplification, I think it's just an ultimate simplification. Yeah, you can really benefit how to increase the value of your company and with your business value amplifier. Um, I think it's, it's very, you're bringing up topics and things the entrepreneur needs to pay attention to, to like you said, and with you, it's never been about a bunch of financial success. It's a lot of personal success. You're actually striving people to do less and earn more. Yeah. Right. Because they, no one seems to value their time as much as they should. Because being the entrepreneur, So go, go, go. It's our baby. We want to do as much as we can, but we usually forget ourselves. Yeah. Cobbler shoes. Yeah. I'm going to ask the cliche question, but I think this is very beneficial here. What's the one thing that you wish everyone would know about you and they don't know about you? I don't even know the answer to that question. I should have anticipated it, Andre. I think most, hopefully it's come through this interview too, but is that your goals become my goals. And I think that's what drives the whole plan. I'm not, you know, I have a defined methodology, but I have zero defined output in the sense of, because the output is all determined by the client, their goals and their situation. And so there's never any cookie cutter thing going on with me. Um, And so, you know, when you do a lot of this type of work, everyone's, you know, you're always being encouraged from business coaches to, you know, have the same thing, have the same thing. And I'm like, I, I, I resist it every time, right? Even in my industry where they say you need to, you should focus on this or you should focus on that. I'm like, but the big picture is the important thing mm-hmm. and helping figure out how all that comes together and putting that puzzle together is what, you know, is important. And it's what brings me joy. Right. Yeah. Like uh, to me, that's come clear through this conversation is it's true. It's not a cliche for you. Client does come first what they want comes first. And with your skills of natural curiosity and question asking, you always get the meat and potatoes, what the people want. It's not standard in the industry. I'll promise you that, but it's very, it's a nice change. It's a nice change to have that. Um, And, you know, like you said, you don't always know the answers, but you like asking the questions and does this make sense to you? Cause I don't think I really put this together talking over these years, but you're always asking questions to the same, yeah, same questions to the same questions, I guess. You know, you know, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be? You ask that every year. Mm. Why would you ask the same question over and over again as time goes on? Because we're not the person we were last year isn't the person we are this year. Right. And that's what I get from you. You want to see yeah. how people grow. And by understanding that, you ask more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's really, really cool. 
And um, <clears throat> is there any final words you'd like to say to tell your listeners mm. as we wrap this up? Oh, I think that one of the things I like to try and do is also have fun with clients. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm a little, I can be a little kooky. I can be a little whatever, because I think finance is serious, but let's have some fun while we're doing it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be all, you know, like we're sitting in a bank back ramrod straight, you know? Yeah. And only one way of doing it. Yes. Yes. Mr. And Mrs. Client, what would you like to achieve? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So perfect. I, I really, I, appreciate this opportunity to get you know more actually i learned a lot more today than i have over the last eight nine years that we've known each other yeah i do like i really honored that you asked me to uh, get this out of you for for the listeners because i think it is also important for the listeners to understand the host yeah um and to get to know the person and, and we definitely got this here. And I think there's two points here that I really want to bring out that people. Well, think the real about. bottom line is Andre. Oh, that's right. It is. <laughs> Sorry. I got in the habit of mine though. I'll finish off with the bottom line later. But yeah, the one thing where I think I really got out of this one is that IP is the company's value and to get the company to a point to not be reliable on the owner. Yeah is not only valuable dollar-wise, but valuable on free time-wise and less worrying. To yes. me, it's always worried if things are going to go well or not. Yep. And then in the end, the bottom line is, what's your power number? What is the number that you can say, I have achieved everything I have, that ideal goal? What is that power number? And write it down, because I think you know it. That's awesome, Andre. Thank you. So thanks for having me. And if you want to contact Wendy, please check out the show notes and see how you can reach out to her to learn more about her total wealth blueprint, the business value amplifier, the entrepreneurial couples collective and the elite business community. Thank you, Andre. Hey, growth oriented business owners. Are you ready to take your business to new heights and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs? I would like to introduce you to the elite growth community. Your ticket to a world of learning, sharing, strategizing, and problem solving. Our monthly live events will bring together successful business owners just like you who are making over six figures and have been in the game for at least two years. And the best part, your first event is absolutely free. So try it out and see if it's the right fit for you. And after that, for just $17 a month, you'll unlock unlimited access to our exclusive community where you can accelerate your business growth like never before. No commitments, month to month. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to join the elite growth community at blackstarwealth.com backslash elite. Sign up today and watch your business soar to a new heights. That's blackstarwealth.com backslash E-L-I-T-E. Hope to see you soon.